0: Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Super excited to be alive, aren't you? Yeah. To live in the place that we live at the time that we live. I was with my wife uh, walking last night. We were walking our dog last night, just enjoying the Shabbat. And, and uh, I was just talking about the blessings of, I don't know, indoor plumbing, A.C., heat, running water, you know, things we take for granted But I told her, I'm so glad that we live at this time in this place to be a witness for the Lord and all that's taking place. We live in a world that's beautiful in many ways and yet dangerous and volatile, increasingly wicked and hostile. In fact, in places outside of our borders, uh, Christians are persecuted in in pretty pretty, um, shocking ways. And in some places, martyred on a regular basis. I cannot imagine what that is like. Let's not forget the persecuted church in our prayers daily for those that are really struggling. And I know the heat's been turned up here. We're certainly experiencing oppression as believers and a little bit of persecution. Not much compared to uh, third world countries and other uh, actually other countries around us. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, Why do we keep the holy days? We observe the holy days because they inform us and they ready us for coming events. You know, how many people are preppers? You've heard of the prepper kind of movement, right? Ever since Y2K. Actually before then, but kind of had a spike at Y2K. And I think I still got wheat from then anyway. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you know, I think everyone realizes tough times are coming. Isn't that true? Do you know that the Holy Days are designed to prep us for major events that are coming? In fact, we keep the biblical Holy Days in order to be prepared for coming events, plagues, catastrophes, famine, chaos, misery. They prep us. They preserve us. In fact, God has promised to see us through those times. Because he's the one that orchestrates them. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 16, and I, I want to go back to the first slide. I should say that is our title today. Our coming vindication. Our coming vindication. God is going to vindicate his people. Everyone that's ever lived throughout history will be vindicated when he comes. And again, the holy days are all about this. So in Colossians chapter 2 and verse six, 16, it says, therefore, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the question of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Don't let anyone, no brother, no sister, no mother, no father, no aunt, nor uncle, don't let anyone tell you. Oh, the Sabbath's been done away with. You don't have to do that. Oh, don't don't worry. It's okay to eat this and eat that. No, don't let anyone judge you. You know who you are in Messiah. These days are your days. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. Why? These are a shadow of things to come. These are shadows of coming events. I don't know about you. I don't like surprises when they're bad, right? Who likes that? No, I want to be prepped and ready for coming catastrophes. These holy days are shadows of things still coming. So if you want to be clued into the future, you need to dive in and observe the holy days. In the holy days is a revelation of what is still coming. And the substance, the reality, the fullness is in Messiah. These days are all about him and what he's going to do in the future. He's already seated at the right hand of God. He's been given the scepter. He's ruling right now from heaven as king of kings and lord of lords. He's orchestrating everything from heaven that will take place on earth. And he will come again and vindicate us. And the holy days are the revelation of those things that are coming. So we're gonna jump into that and look more closely at that as we come into the fall holy days. Today I wanna talk about the first of the fall festivals, the first holy day in the fall. It's called Yom Teruah. Yom means day, Teruah means blast. So it's called the day of blasting, okay? We actually actually work that a little bit better in terms of describing what that's about by including the blowing of the shofar. We call it the day of the blowing of the shofar, the day of the blasting of the trumpets, if you will. It's found in Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. And again, that includes every believer in Messiah, because if you believe in the Jewish Messiah, you're grafted into the Jewish people, the Jewish olive tree of Israel part of the commonwealth, are actually a citizen of Israel. These are our days. Speak to the people of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. It's a rest day for us. You know who gets to rest? The rich, the wealthy. They get a rest. You know, when you're impoverished, You work like a dog every day. The world demands 24-7. God says, not so for my people. My people are my children. I'm a king and they're royals. So God has given to us days of rest and rejoicing and feasting. That's who we are. That's what we do these days. Ain't nobody going to take the days from me. Can't take the days from me. You can't take the Torah scroll away and burn it because it's deep in my heart yeah so it's here to stay so we're to have a day of solemn rest a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets a holy convocation a day of blowing trumpets it's the day where you get to blow your shofars all day long get a shofar how many people do not have a shofar Amazon.com. I don't get any kickback from Amazon, by the way. But go to Amazon.com and get a shofar. and, And bring them to the festivals and blow them. They have great spiritual significance. People, when you blow the shofar, something happens in the spirit realm. There are spiritual factors that are tied into the blowing of the shofar. And God says, this will be a day of the blowing of the shofars. That's all it says. It's a holy convocation, which means you have to come together. Got to come out of your homes. Got to be a big party. God's all about a party. God's an extrovert. He likes a big gathering, okay? So he says, come out. Blow the trumpets. Be refreshed and renewed. Eat, sing, and dance. These are the days of our joy. Goes on to say, you shall not do any ordinary work. You shall present a food offering to the Lord. It's God's invitation to come and drink and eat. He says, come on, bring some food, let's eat. Yeah, God's all about fellowship and relationship. He wants relationship with us. Here's the big question. What does the blowing of the shofar mean? What what is it meant to convey, right? What is that all about? Why do we blow shofars? Well, you ever heard one up close? We had we had to we, you know, we we were really into the chauffeurs at one point in our history. I mean we had like probably seven to ten people that would bring their shofars. And during the worship service, while we're worshiping, you know, they would blow the shofars. And sometimes you'd be standing there and the person would be right behind you. And they have the shofar like this far from your head. And you didn't even know it was coming, and they would blow that, and you would just straighten up, and it was like, man, I'm going to kill that brother or sister, you know? I mean, it is just like a shrill. It would just make you just about flip out. That's the design of it. It's to wake you up. It's a wake-up call. It's meant to get your attention. Now, we banned it from our worship services because people were leaving and not coming back. It's like, I cannot take that anymore. These people are crazy. So we do have structured times for you to come and blow the shofars in a way that won't scare people. You don't get to stand behind them and then unsuspectingly blow it in their ears. But you do get to blow it like a crazy man or a crazy woman. So we're going to have some fun at our day of blowing the shofars. So think about this. It's meant to wake us up, get our attention, and gather us together. For what purpose? To receive instructions from God, right? It is is a call to come together to encounter the living, living God for something that's important to him. Think of Sinai. Remember Sinai? God says, you're going to become my people. He says, on the third day, I want you to come up on the mountain. And on the third day, there was smoke and fire and... A storm and it was noises, the sounds of trumpets. It was just like, it was just like so much stimulation, so to speak. Designed of course, to get everyone's attention. It, it was as if God was, was blasting his trumpet in order to say something super important, which that day was, I am your God. You are my people. You're becoming a nation unto me. This was a big deal. So Sinai becomes one of those those events in which the sounds of myriads of trumpets uh, were on the mountaintop. And then also, uh, it's also a sound for war and warfare. They would blow that when they would go into battle. And the blowing of the shofars would certainly gain the attention of the other side as well. Remember Jericho? They went out to that fortified city that had a great military presence. And they went around the city with their trumpets. They marched all the way around the city. I don't know how long it took to get around the city. But you're up on the wall. You're a warrior. You're looking down at these peasants. And they got trumpets. And it's like, really? Like, r- what, what are they doing? It's like, you know, they, they could have shot from the walls and just shot them dead. I think it was comic relief. I think they were having fun laughing at him, mocking them, right? Yeah. They marched around on the seventh day seven times. So on the seventh day, they're probably thinking, wow, something's going on because they keep marching around. And then when they stopped, there was silence as they raised their shofars and they blew them. And when they blew, the walls cracked. These walls were wide, like the wall of China, you know? Big, wide walls where you could walk on them. Those walls cracked and then fell apart and came crushing down to the ground. Yeah. At what? The sound of the shofar. Yeah. When God is in the shofar, things happen. Yeah. Those are holy spiritual instruments. Get one! Get one! Employ that in your devotional times. After everyone's already awake, don't scare the kids. My dog, man, he is like out of there. When I start blowing the shofar, he's like gone, right? He knows better. All right. So anyway, uh, these are wake-up calls designed to get our attention. They're also blown at the coronation of a king in Israel. So when they... Uh, would appoint a new king in Israel. They would bring out uh, the trumpeters, and then the people would bring out their shofars, and it was such a raging, raging sound that would rise up to heaven at the coronation of the king. It became one of the uh, most important symbols in the coronation itself. And then also they would blow the shofars when a king came to visit a city, a vassal nation or one of his cities in his empire. And so he would come with his men and they would come out, they'd blow the trumpets and they would come out to them and they would turn and the entourage would follow the king into the city and they would stay in the city and blow the trumpets as the king would come in and they would give him praise and glory and honor. It was a great occasion in which the shofars were used once again. Now we get into the book of Revelation and you'll notice there are seven trumpets that are blown. And each of the trumpets release a judgment of God on the world. Pretty devastating, shocking judgments are initiated with the blowing of a trumpet by an angel. And then finally, the seventh trumpet. That's blown just prior to the return of Jesus himself. And we'll talk more about that in the week week to come in our next week. But keep in mind that the physical return of King Jesus to judge the living and the dead and to usher in the new creation will be preceded with the blowing of the trumpet. In fact, it's the trumpet of God himself. God himself has a trumpet. And that trumpet's going to sound right prior to the appearance of Jesus Christ. When we celebrate these holy days, they keep us focused on Jesus, centered in Him. They're like dress rehearsals for the coming events. Now, we've all been to weddings, right? Those that have been married, you have what's called a dress rehearsal. You go through the whole service. You learn the parts, all that's going to be done, and then the next day, usually it's the next day, You have the wedding. Yeah, these are dress rehearsals for those coming events. They're designed to help us to understand what's going on and what's coming so that we can be prepared when the guacamole hits the fan. Because these trumpets are, these are judgments that are coming. The seven trumpets are guacamole judgments. Today, I want to focus on the return of King Jesus. I want to say passionately there is no secret coming of Jesus. There's no, this idea that he's going to come, you know, secretly for his own just isn't true. Turn with me to Matthew 24, verse 27. says, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus is making it very clear. They're going to come and say to you, he's over here or he's over there. They're going to come and say he's come secretly. Don't listen to him. When the Son of Man comes, it's going to be self-evident to everyone. You ever been close to a lightning strike? When when I was a little kid, a bolt of lightning struck so close, I could have swore it was just right across the street, it's probably further, but the flash was so great, and when the boom corresponded simultaneously with it, that's how how close the lightning strike was, it knocked me on my back. I I thought it got struck by lightning. I thought it hit me. It didn't. It was just so close. That, that the shock of that blast laid me out as a little kid, man. I was laying on my back thinking, what happened? I thought I, I thought I was dead. I'm looking for smoke, you know. I'm like Harrison's age thinking, what was that, you know? Yeah. When Jesus comes again, it's going to be that evident to everyone around the planet. Everyone will note that Jesus has returned. The king has returned. Self-evident to everyone. Verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, we'll talk about that as well, because tribulation precedes his coming. We will be persecuted before he comes, we will suffer, and until that suffering reaches its fullness, he's not coming. We'll talk about that in the future. We have all this imagery in the Old Testament. God's a cloud rider. He rides the clouds. And he brings judgments. He intervenes in the the affairs of men. And these are all precursors to the great final return of the king. King Jesus, where he comes riding on a cloud to the earth. He's coming home. He has a physical body from this earth. This earth is going to be transformed. It's going to be a recreated earth. Heaven is great, but it's not the end of the world. The world is remade and goes on. Heaven and earth merge and come together. Jesus is coming back, reclaiming all of those who believe in him and all of creation. He died, and he's reclaiming it. So he's going to come back. It's going to be self-evident to everyone, and it's going to come with great power and glory. He's not coming back as the Lamb of God. Bah, you know, some gentle little woolly lamb, cute, huggable. No, he's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. There's going to be great glory and great fear, especially in the hearts of unbelievers. He's coming back in power and glory. I want to talk about the rapture of God's covenant people. First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 4, 13. We'll begin there in verse 13. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. What? People are sleeping? What's he talking about? He's talking about those that have died in previous generations. He uses sleep as a metaphor for death, because the first death is like sleeping. It's temporary. Everyone's going to rise again, some to a judgment of damnation, and some to rewards and eternal life. Okay? So he describes the first death as a sleep. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have died before you, so that you don't grieve as the rest who do not have hope. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. When Jesus gets off his throne and jumps on a cloud to come to earth, he's going to bring from Abraham's bosom, he's going to bring from heaven those departed spirits of the saints who have died before us, and they're coming with him. Because he's coming somewhere. Where is he coming? To the earth. Where are their bodies? Where are the bodies of the departed spirits? In the earth. And they're going to be resurrected, and their spirits are going to go into their bodies, and they're going to be immortalized. They get a big, glamorized, eternal makeover. Get my hair back. But he's coming again. He's going to bring those that have died. Is he going to come back on the clouds of heaven? Verse 31. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. With a great trumpet. This is the trumpet of God, by the way. The great trumpet is the trumpet of God. Like the tabernacle is his dwelling place, and then you have the little tabernacles. You have a great trumpet in the midst of all the little trumpets. So he's coming back. His angels are going to precede him with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Where where does he gather them? From one end of the sky, not from one end of the earth. He's going to gather them from one end of the sky to the other ends of the sky. Why? They're in the sky. This is the rapture. This is where they've come out of their graves and they're lifted up. All the believers are lifted up to meet their king who's coming to his vassal earth, right? It's the king coming to visit. He returns. We meet him to return with him to this earth. This is the rapture where we're caught up to meet him in the sky. Now, Let me jump back into 1 Thessalonians, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those of, of us who are alive, we're going to see people coming out of their graves all around us. They're going to be out of their graves and going up. And then we're going to follow them. We're not going to precede them. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. But we're all going to be caught up to meet the Lord. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Yom Teruah, the day of blowing, right? This is all connected with the return of Jesus. It's God. He's blown his own trumpet. It'll be the greatest day that we will have experienced up till then. The return of the king at the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Imagine those in the grave, shocked as they hear the trumpet. awakened from their sleep, coming out of the graves. So great is the trumpet of God. It awakens even the dead. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. This is the rapture in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we we shall always be with the Lord. We're going to always be with him from that point on. And uh, where is he going? To Jerusalem. No, he's not going to heaven. That's what everyone thinks. He's going to do a U-turn, put on his, his cloud brakes, pick us up and go back to heaven. And then we all stay on clouds, do, 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 you know, playing harps. No, he's coming back to earth and we're coming with him because we're going to rule and reign over the wicked. We're going to judge the wicked. We'll even judge the fallen angels. Oh, there's a lot that's going to happen in the day of the Lord and we get to participate in that. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort each other in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of disappointments, heartache, loss, sickness. Comfort one another. Tell each other. Soon the king will return. He's going to wipe away all the tears. He's going to heal us. We're going to be reunited with our loved ones that went on before us. Oh, happy day, right? An amazing day that's going to be. Comfort one another. We keep the day of the blowing of the trumpets because it marks the return of our king. It prepares us, reminds us he's coming so that we stay the course and focused on him. When he comes, we will not be surprised. We know exactly what's going to be going on. When the wicked around us that hate us and hate God
1: say, what was that? What was that great
0: noise? You know? It's like, duh, don't you know? You know? I, no, nah, I won't tell that story. Never mind. Okay. If I was younger, I would have told it. Then I would have got some reproof at the uh, staff debrief. So, okay, so conclusion application. Whenever you hear the shofars, May it remind you to prep for the return of our King. He's coming back to deliver us. He's coming back to deliver us from this lawless, reckless, cruel world. He's going to wipe away all our tears. He's going to pay back all of those who oppressed and persecuted us through their censorship, through their cancer culture. Think about this, the cancel culture movement. What do you think that's all about? That's the precursor of the beast system that brings about the ultimate version of cancel culture where it disallows you from buying, selling, and trading. That's a true counsel of who you are. No longer able to buy, sell, and trade because you're a believer in Jesus and you keep the commandments of God. He's going to come back. He's going to vindicate us and he's going to pay back those who oppressed us. It's going to be really like the first Passover, but much greater than that, far more intense. 2 Thessalonians, I'll close with these verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 3 through 3-12. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Verses 6 and 7. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Catch that? God is going to repay with affliction those who afflicted you. When you think of injustice done to you, Understand that God will vindicate you. You don't need to seek it. You don't need to seek for vengeance. God will do that for you. He will pay them back. goes on to saying, give to you relief who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Fire being the symbol of judgment. Verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There's a part of God that is very, very violent, truly violent. And for those that have touched on his people, those who have touched on his bride, he's saying, I've noted that. I'm going to come back and I'm going to deal out retribution to all of those who have touched on my people. God loves us so much. He's not going to let people touch on us and get away with it. They're going to answer to him for what they've done. And for all those who don't believe in him, It's going to be a horrible day, a terrorizing day for all of them. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the lion will tear and devour those who have rejected him and have hurt his people. Second Thessalonians, you know, I'm I'm thinking of Nigeria, especially because they've so ramped up the murder of Christians in that nation. It's just at an all-time high. And no one's stopping them. We're not stopping them. Our nation used to stop that. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you're you're killing God's people and you think you're going to get away with it. The payback is coming in the trumpets of God as outlined in the book of Revelation. Verse 9, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at uh, at, at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. I, gotta tell, I told the story before, I'm going to tell it really quick. When I was in high school, uh, my oldest brother was, was um, probably three or four years out of school, and I was a senior Um, but I was at a party and there was like these three guys that I was hung around together and they were the bad boys. They were like, just, they would just pummel people. They just like hung around. They were like, they were like, oh my gosh, terrorizers. And, uh, and so I'm sitting out in the front yard of this party. It's late at night. You know, people have been drinking and stuff. And all of a sudden the three guys are there. They're just like standing there like around me. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh no, I'm the next guy. I'll be like toothless tomorrow morning. You know, I'm going to be all beat up and. My eyes will be closed, and, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm the next on the list, I guess. I was so scared. I was so scared. And out of nowhere, my brother shows up with a few of his guys, and they were like the older, wiser, more experienced bad guys. And so these three guys were scared for the first time. You know, they, they, they all of a sudden were like, you know. So the one guy says, uh, hey, Mick. My brother's name was Michael. They called him uh, Mick, uh, nickname. Hey, Mick, what are you doing? My brother's just staring at me, you know. And uh, he says, what's wrong with you? And my brother says, well, I don't like you. He goes, why don't you like me? I've never done anything to you. He says, I don't like you because you don't like my brother. Leave him alone. Don't touch him. That's all he said. And then he walked away with his friends. And I'm standing there with the three guys all staring at me. I was still just as scared, I was still just as scared. They stared at me for what seemed like an eternity and then they all three just walked off. I thought, yes, yes, I'm gonna go change my drawers, man. When Jesus shows up, he will stand with each of us and all of us. We will not fear our enemies, this beast system, the world powers, the demonic agencies. All of them will be shaking in their boots. And Jesus will have his arms around us. Jesus will be our defender, our rescuer. He is our great deliverer. The greater Passover is coming to us. And Yom Teruah, the blowing of the shofar, marks the day of his return. Really good chance, although it's not conclusive, real good chance he might show up on the day of the blowing of the shofar. It's one of these years, you know? Doesn't have to, but just might, but that day does reveal his second coming to our world to judge the living and the dead. I'm out of time. So Shabbat Shalom.